This is the Ezra Podcast. We're going to talk about the UFC. We're going to talk about boxing. Big fight weekend. Humongous fight weekend. Going to be a busy Saturday. Um, Let me get into something I wasn't really planning on talking about today, but might as well get into it. Just happened. Clarissa uh, Clarissa Shields' second pro MMA fight ends up losing a decision in a fight where she did most of the damage. She did most of the effective work, um, but in MMA... In the scoring, whether you agree with it or you don't, favors the ground. It favors um, holding someone against a fence. It favors getting someone to the ground, even if you don't really do much off it. And her opponent, Montez, did do something at the end because Carissa Shields knew she was down on the scorecards because she was on her back. but And she looked to get up, so she had to take more chances, which allowed Montez to get the mount. And then she could do some damage, and Carissa Shields was at a point where she was like, all right, I'm just going to swing back because I'm going to lose anyways. Maybe I could land something from the bottom to change it. So it's all about really, you know, the scoring, it, it favors the ground. It favors us a wrestler, favors a jiu-jitsu. It's just the way it's always been. I've talked about it forever. I have many podcasts on it. Um, I'm very critical of that. I'm very critical because I, I think that stand-up in, in itself um, should be as respected as much as wrestling should be, uh, you know, should be appreciated as much as all the other uh, techniques that are used in MMA, but it, it's not the case. And if you're really judging the fight on damage done, Clarissa Shields uh, clearly wins that fight. But th- it doesn't matter. I'm not really um, here to talk about you know how the fight should have went for Clarissa Shields or shouldn't have went. What we're here to talk about is Clarissa Shields, uh, the mentality she's taken in MMA. And now she's going in a direction that no boxers really took him before is to go into an, a legit, the probably the best MMA uh, camp in the world and really respect the sport come in and learn all the things that she would need to learn in the cage the one issue i take and uh, i think that it really peaked its ugly head today was just throwing away boxing to the side just pushing boxing to the side and saying when i fight mma i'm an mma fighter i'm not a boxer and i don't think anyone else is doing that with their craft i don't think a wrestler goes into mma and says i'm no longer a wrestler i'm just gonna learn uh you know i'm gonna learn all the stand-up and jiu-jitsu and I'm no longer going to work my takedowns I'm no longer going to be sharp with this it's like I think Khabib still worked his wrestling I still think he worked his sambo I think Connor still worked his hands he still worked his uh, karate he still worked his boxing I know that uh, Israel Adesanya still works his kickboxing so why would Clarissa Shield just completely get rid of her boxing what she's the best at right what what she's the, the best at she's only going to work with MMA she's only going to work with MMA trainers on her boxing it's like it's only going to diminish the final product what we saw today was a, her hands were not as sharp as they usually are or could be and she did seem you know she does seem a little um, tentative in there she looks not that she's not confident but she's not comfortable with the range and you know and a lot of the guys that say the MMA the transition to the range is very different and, and maybe it is I'm not really saying anything that's forcing her to be this uncomfortable with the range where she punches from so far away, I think it's just unfamiliarity in those situations. Um, I expected in this fight for her to be a lot more comfortable with the range than, you know, first fight, first fight jitters. But then again, it's only the first two fights. When people, you know, usually get amateur fights or they come up, you know, in a way where they're just so far superior athletically to like their opponents. Like if you're coming up on, you know, like just backyard shows or like, you know, local, local shows, a lot of times, you, the person that's just more athletic can win a lot of these fights. And Clarissa Shields would probably win a lot of those low-level fights because she's very athletic. She's um, very strong, uh, knows how to move her body. She's showing very good things. She's 
the way she's defending things. She's, she's learning at a pretty quick rate. But the part that she's really good at is diminishing. And it's pretty clear. I, I, I just believe that, you know, so, some things that she had said that I thought, um, you know, were as a boxing fan, because, you know, I, I love MMA, I love boxing, but boxing is like my first love. I, I grew up with boxing, watched it. And it just kind of felt like she was a little bit turning her back on boxing. And not that, you know, that she old boxing or anything, but just the mentality she had was, you know, first she was saying, you know, like, this is harder than boxing. And that's debatable, right? That's a debatable thing. I think a lot of that has to do with Carissa Shields has been good at boxing for so long. And she's been better than, at, at, uh, she's a natural talent in boxing. And she's been better than her, um, you know, her other opponents. She's far superior to them in boxing. That Yeah, it she's been doing it for so long and being better than everyone for so long that boxing might seem easier to her now. And then when she went to MMA, it's a complete switch up and level the playing field that, of course, it's a complete shift where it's like, okay, well, this is hard and that was easy, so this must be harder than that. You know what I mean? It's just the way you look at it, the way you perceive it. But she automatically went with that. And then she kind of like was pushing boxing to the side and said like, I'm still going to do boxing, but I'm doing this now. And I'm fully focused on becoming an MMA fighter and fully focused on learning these techniques. And that's fine. And she needs to learn those techniques. She needs to learn jujitsu. She needs to learn wrestling. She needs to learn the clinch. She needs to learn, uh, you know, defending herself against the cage from takedowns. All that is good. But you can't throw away what you're, you can't just let go what you're best at. And that's what she did in this fight. She let go what she's absolutely best at. And that didn't make sense to me. And it didn't make sense to me why she was so sloppy at it. She was so out of all over the place. And I just think that if she just worked her game and, you know, as far as MMA coaches, if they just told her, you know, like, take your time, pick your shots, do one at a time. You don't have to explode with so many combos and you lose yourself in there. Pick your shots, jab. And they just weren't offering that. No one was telling her that. No one was telling her, like, hey, calm down. Or maybe they were. I just wasn't, I didn't hear them say it. But someone has to tell her, like, hey, just work your game. Be calm. There's people with worse hands than you that are very effective in here because they're calm. And they, you know, like, if she felt like, hey, listen, this girl's going to have a hard time taking me down. The only way I can truly give her the takedown, right, is if I come in swinging wild and she's able to get to my hips. Because I know I can defend myself against the fence, so do the most damage I can while I'm standing, right? And then if she holds me against the fence, that's fine. I'm going to win the round with the most damage. She even got a split decision on the fight that the way MMA scored, I didn't think she earned a split decision. Just on the way MMA scored, I'm not saying that's correct. I think that you should always judge it on damage but i gotta i can't judge the fights like that because that's not the way they're judging it so i knew that just the control alone was going to cost her the fight i just don't get why her boxing was so bad in the opportunity she had now a lot of people are, are you know maybe you know there's a debate on uh, twitter about you know how does this hurt her career and people say don't hurt it at all and I don't think it hurts her boxing at all. Like, I don't think it hurts her legacy or anything like that. I, I just think that it does hurt her bottom dollar. Because it's true. I think Carissa Shields kind of maxed out on her fame and uh, paydays on what she was going to get in boxing. I don't think that it was going to grow anymore. I don't think there's a lot of opponents for her. I know they have Savannah Marshall. That's, that's going to be good. That's interesting. But I don't think that's massive. And I don't think it was going to get massive for her. I think that she was going to have... You know, she could be a quality fight on an undercard, but there wasn't a lot of opponents, not a lot of hype or excitement. So I really believe that MMA was going to be a, a very key part to her career because you could, she would be the first person they'd be like, I'm a, I'm competing in MMA at a high level and I'm competing at boxing at a high level. I'm the best in boxing and I'm trying to become the best in MMA. 
And I think that was really important to not only, you know, like her notoriety, her celebrity, her overall bottom dollar. So I don't believe that the MMA thing is done. I don't think that in her mind she thinks the MMA thing is done. What I think is more realistic is that she fights Savannah Marshall and then calls it quits to boxing and goes straight to MMA and says, listen, I was world champion here. I'm going to go be world champion here, but I need to solely focus on this. But I don't 100% think that's going to fix the thing because you can't go in there and be a below average jiu-jitsu, below average wrestler, and an average boxer. You better be elite at something if you're in MMA. And it's a pr proven that uh, the guys that are elite at one thing and then work their game to be credible at the others, that's how you become a world champ. She can't throw away boxing and just say, I'm an MMA fighter. I, it's the wrong mentality to take in this. And it won't lead to success for her. Okay, let's get to the fights. We got John Blakowitz versus Glover Texera. And this is a light heavyweight fight. Um, and, you know, Glover Texera, to be back here from when you saw him fight John Jones, which he was already older there, right? A lot of people think that he got into UFC at, at past his prime. And look, at, he's back here. He's back at the title picture. Now, does that talk about how you know thin life weight is? Of course. But he's really um, beating some decent guys. I mean, at least guys that John Jones was defending his bout against. That's who he beat to get here. Uh, Smith, Santos, you know, those are credible wins. You got uh, and John, who just beat, who just got a, a very key, a huge victory over Izzy, right, and Izzy's uh, move up, which I think a lot of people assumed that Izzy was going to win that fight. I think John was kind of looked at like a vulnerable champ. And John was competitive in the stand-up portion, and when he got him down, he had full control. Now, the one thing I did notice is a lot of John's wins are smaller light heavyweights, or a lot of the John's wins are against middleweights that moved up, such as Luke Rockhold or Souza or Izzy. But, it, it, you know, John's just going to be one of those champs that's just, people are going to underestimate, um, especially because John Jones left the division. But remember, John slept Reyes when the fight that Reyes, a lot of people feel he beat John Jones, which me being one of them, that he beat John Jones. So this fight, I, I don't know if people truly know what to expect. I think the... Uh, I think a lot of people are assuming this was a competitive fight, and I could see it being a very competitive fight. Um, the, just going over John, he's just a big, powerful, calm, sometimes wild, but also good timing, um, also patient. Um, he, he can get wild, he can exchange, he, he's very confident in his power, but he also, like when he fought Izzy, he wasn't trying to just be wild with him. He was picking shots it's it's interesting it's hard to you know if you watch it for the first time it's hard to make you know make out what what is he what is he good at and then you start seeing him like yeah he's effective at what he does he's effective at his style and you got Glover Teixeira who's a come forward combination you know really just mainly boxer um he does throw the uh, a right uh kick to the body and or high he will go with it but he's mostly He's looking to push you back and put some combinations on you and kill you to the body, kill you to the head, hooks and uppercuts. Not the fastest. Two guys that are not the fastest on their feet. I think John has moments where he can, you know, get a step back if he needs to. Global Chase is not going to be able to, you know, 
chase you down or cut you off with fast foot movement or get out of get out of the way with fast foot movement. It's just not going to happen. He's going to have to come forward. And he's going to have to walk through some shots. And I think that that's going to be the key point of this fight. That John is going to be able to hit him right down the middle because Glover Teixeira's guard is open. And it's open right down the middle. And John's going to have the reach. And he's going to have the... Um, he's going to be able to set his feet and Glover's going to have to walk towards him because he doesn't have a lot of moves to get past John's offense to figure out his offense. No, he's going to have to walk through shots and then get into range and start working his offense. And I believe that John's jab is going to be very important to his fight. I believe a straight right is going to be very important to his fight. And I think his body kick is going to be very important to his fight. And just Glover having to walk through that. And I think that by the first and second round, it might be too much damage done to Glover's face by the time where he can maybe start making things happen his face is going to be all torn up and this is how i picture this fight being stopped as the doctor stoppage and just his face being too much damaged in the third or fourth round i think he's going to walk through a lot of jabs he's going to have a lot of problems in this fight and john's going to look you know dominant going into the yuri fight which i think that everyone's going to be excited for i think it's a hell of a matchup and glorix era is going to have you know, an interesting run in the UFC, but he's going to have uh, another moment where this looks like to me like his final shot at the title. And I don't expect him to go down easily. I expect him to, to have moments where he, he does work his way into position and try to land some big shots on John. But I think John right now is very sharp. He's very confident in what he's doing. And if he's going to be competitive with Izzy, right, in a stand-up fight, he might be able to pick Glover apart. Now, what would be the counter for Glover to end this fight? And he's going to have to punch his way in. And he might have to punch when he's out of range just to work his way in. He might have to miss two shots just to keep John home. That allows him to gain the space while, you know, so he missed the first two. But gaining that ground as he's punching to maybe catch him with the last two. Also, John, his right hand, it moves. He, he was eating a... The feints of Izzy and his right hand, it drops. He, he tries to block, grab the punch that you're throwing. So if you can throw combinations, maybe his right hand will not be in the position he needs it to. And mid-combination, he might go to grab something that he thinks is coming and you could, and Glover can punish him with the left hook. I think Glover should throw all his combinations and him with all left hooks. I think that's going to be his best chance. But John, you could get John to wait at home because John's guard... His defense is stepping back in high guard. And then he'll regain his ground. So Glover's work rate and combinations could be effective, but he's going to have to punch his way in. He's going to have to find a way to keep John home so John doesn't kill him as he's coming inside. I think the first two rounds, you're going to really know a lot about this fight. And I think that What's going to happen is Glover's just going to take too much damage. And it's just going to be the too much there for John. One, twos at a distance. And when he works his way in, he's just going to have to pay too much. And by the time that third, fourth round comes around, it's just too much. I think they stop this fight. To the co-main event. And this is a great card. This is a really good card. And it's, it's a free card. So that's that's always good, right? They're, they're, um, this is a card in, uh, I believe it's in Abu Dhabi. So... You know, so it's on at a weird time. It's on, like, I believe, like, 12 and over here in the West Coast, 2 in the East. And we got um, Peter Yan versus Corey Sandhagen. Well, now, Peter Yan was supposed to be fighting Aljamain Sterling. And Aljamain Sterling, who is a champ, controversially, but, you know, 
was it's not his fault that Peter Jan destroyed him while he was uh, one knee with you know I think both knees to the ground. Uh, you know he just he hit him with a, a knee to his head and got DQ'd and Aljamain Sterling became champ. Then Sterling had to have surgery on his neck, so when it was supposed to be the rematch, it's now honestly what I think is a better fight because I pictured Peter Jan winning the Aljamain Sterling fight pretty easily because he was pretty much controlling Aljamain Sterling in the first one. Now, Corey Sanhagen is a better stand-up fighter than Aljamain Sterling, by far. Now, Corey Sanhagen has also lost to Aljamain Sterling. He's also lost to basically anyone when he got to the level of the level he's going to need to be to beat Peter Yan. But matchups do make fights. And I think that Corey Sanhagen's explosiveness is going to be really be put to the test in this fight because Peter, Peter Yan takes control by putting pressure and he kills you with always being in the right position. He's always able to respond or attack or defend. He's always in the right position. He doesn't need a lot of movement. He doesn't have excess things. He's just ready to respond. And Corey Sanhagen is the kind of guy that likes to move around, likes to switch, to get creative. And a lot of that's not going to work against Peter Yan. He's going to have to be more controlled than ever. And in the last fight when he fought Corey, uh, when he fought Dillashaw, TJ Dillashaw, he got himself in trouble by taking too many chances and put himself in bad positions. He cannot do that, Peter Yan. Peter Yan's going to finish you if you end up doing that. So you're going to have to be more controlled. Can you have a more controlled game and use your explosiveness in, in smaller amounts, right? Like, in, don't use it as much, but use it in the correct time. Apply it at the right time. Because I think Peter Yan has one weakness. It's going to be that he kind of gets stuck. He gets He's not looking to move out of the way. He's not looking to get out of range he wants to stay in range he wants to be able to tag you and catch any mistake you have but sometimes he gets stuck and sometimes he gets a high guard i think that there's body shots to make him pay there and i would think Corey Sanhagen, who likes a flying knee who likes a uh, you know a spinning kick he might be able to set peter yan up but he can't be doing over and over again because peter yan will start catching on he's too smart he's too technical you got to set it up you got to hide it and can you box and kickbox a uh, calm, uh, you know, style of not so aggressive, not so much movement, not so many chances taking. You got to be a little more conservative. Can Corey Sanhagen be a little more conservative in this fight? And wait for his chances, wait for his opening, and maybe get a flying knee to the body. Because I think that he's going to have to work pity on his body. I think that there's an opening there that not a lot of people have used yet. Now, Corey Sanhagen is talented, but like I said, the pressure puts a spotlight on all your mistakes and all your things. All those things that Corey Sanhagen wants to do, I think it's going to be spotlighted. And he's going to be more need to be more disciplined than ever. Peter Yan, I think, is one of the best boxers uh, in MMA. He's just one of the best fighters. He's very good at grappling, very good at trips. He's transitions very well from stand-up to ground. He's a finisher. He's... To me, one of the best fighters in the world right now. And Corey Sanhagen, like I said, has not proven that he is at that level. If Corey Sanhagen were able to pull this off, it makes it very interesting because Corey Sanhagen has lost to the two contenders, which are Dillashaw and uh, Aljamain Sterling, who is currently the champ. So the unify, how to unify that, you know, Aljamain would be favorited and it would be a big boost for Aljamain who would have to go through Peter Yan, who he struggled against, against Corey Sanhagen, who he got out in the first round with a submission. I take Peter Yan in this fight. I think Peter Yan is going to push Corey Sanhagen back. And Corey Sanhagen is going to have a hard time getting things going. And when he does 
the mental errors he's going to make and being too creative and all that, it's Pirion's just going to expose it. And I think he's going to beat him to the punch. And I think that when he does his spinning kicks or, you know, flying knees, I think Pirion's going to be able to take him down and really punish him. And I think that Pirion um, just exposes him under pressure and eventually gets the stoppage around the fourth round, I would have. Now, the counter, like I said, is Sanhagen has to be more disciplined, take the body work he can get, and uh, set up the big shots. But you, you got to be more creative and start catching when Peter, start catching the rhythm when Pirion stays at home with the defense and get your opening because it will be there. But how disciplined can Sanhagen be? Honestly, you could go through this whole card um, and, and you, I could go down the whole main card especially and break down the fights and it'd be worth talking about. There's a interesting storyline or interesting fighter in those fights, but the, I'm going to go two more and that's Islam Makachev versus Dan Hooker, which is a great fight. Um, Islam is this is his first time fighting a level at this opponent where it's you know contender these are contenders Dan Hooker's a contender so the man that could very well you know fight for the title it wouldn't be so out of the ordinary now Dan Hooker to me has not really ever been the guy that's like you know like Corsair Hang same issue you know he hasn't really been the guy that's you know to say like I am one of the the true guys that could take the belt he's like always right there but he loses always those fights the closest he came was you know he actually won a war and almost finished um Poirier and then Poirier you know from that fight I was like there's no way he could beat Connor and then he goes and beats Connor twice so Dan Hooker obviously has some talent and you could see it like offensively he's a very good fighter there's just big holes in his game defensively because the defense really is non-existent his guard is non-existent it's when he punches he really um just forgets his defense completely he puts himself in bad positions he's as the fight gets on later in the fight he gets worse he he just loses himself in the ring honestly and i he comes from a good gym and everything but they just can't seem to get control of him or keep him sharp for the full five rounds which would make you know an elite fighter now islam akashev is considered by many to be the next world champion right the next guy to control the the next khabib in a way his game isn't 100% like Khabib's, though. We got to be honest with you. He he could take, he, he is definitely very good takedowns, very good wrestling. He, he's not 100% punishing you. He's more control, right? He's more uh, control of the points, and he, he he has beautiful transitions. And if you try to get takedown on him, he's going to transition on you very good and end up in a better position than you. I think he's better to stand up than Khabib. I don't even think that's debatable. I think he's a lot better than Khabib at the stand up. But he's very defensive. And I think that he's not going to take a lot of chances. He's not a guy that takes a lot of chances in his fighting. He has no problem going to a decision. Has no problem kind of being a boring fight. Now, he has good power when he lets it go. But he's not a high-value guy in the stand-up. And this is where I think it gets interesting. Because I think that Dan Hooker, who is pretty damn good at the stand-up, could be dynamic. He has a lot of problems when someone's like really pushing him back. Islam's not going to do that with striking, at least. So if Islam is his defensive self in the stand-up, I think Dan Hooker can get in a rhythm here. And I think that if Dan Hooker is moving forward, he's really dynamic with the stand-up. And the way he keeps his hands, which is not very common in MMA, he keeps his hands high and forward. So he's able to get his shots off faster and he can mix combinations in quicker. And when he comes forward, he looks smoother. He, he looks more controlled. He goes backwards. His defense is horrible. His chin's up. He's, his legs aren't as good. But Islam will, has no problem moving backwards. So I think that 
Islam might have a little problem in the stand-up portion just because Dan Hooker is not going to be as cautious either. He's going to be a lot more lucid, a lot more lucid shots and more willing to take chances. And Islam isn't. So Islam might lose the point thing on that. What I imagine though is that Dan Hooker will lose himself in the fight because that's what he always does. And Islam will be able to get the takedown and control at least two of the three rounds. But there might be, there's, I think there's going to be some interesting moments in the stand-up portion where Dan Hooker is going to win that portion of the fight. But can Dan Hooker get Islam? Can he get Islam from taking him down? And if can he find his way back up? And you know what? What can he set up? Dan Hooker's knee is very good, and it's because he's very tall that when it comes up, it doesn't take that long to get up. And I think that that could be effective, at least uh, faking it to keep Islam home. How does he keep Islam home? Um, you know, keep the keep long, keep switching. Don't give him the leg. The, don't give him the 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 same leg to look at every time for the takedown. But I just imagine that Islam is going to benefit from Hooker, who will get forward but will lose himself, get too forward like Carissa Shields today, and give up the positioning, right, and allow Islam to get in on him and get the takedown. I don't really truly believe that Hooker can stop his takedown. And I don't think he can stop it continuously. Who Islam has very good cardio and like does not get tired. He will, especially in a three-round fight, he's going to be very fresh in the third round. And I expect Islam to take the decision here just by control. And I think that people might walk away with this saying, like, yeah, Islam's kind of a boring fighter. or And, you know, that could very well be the case. But he's going to be respected as like a high-level fighter at the end of this. Now, for like I said, the counter for hookers, he needs to keep the range. He has to, but he has to keep pushing Islam back. I think Islam's wrestling is going to be um, much less effective when he's moving backwards. His offense is very cautious, and he's kind of used his mentality against him. Uh, find the range uh, and get the offense. Um, get the offense going. Stay active. Even if you know you're not really landing at Islam, you're working and make Islam shoot from far away. That's going to be your best chance to win this fight and best chance of stopping his takedowns is seeing it, being able to respond to it from far away. Like I said, I'm going to take Islam by decision in this fight. We got Kazmat Shemaev versus Lai Jeling. And this is a excellent fight because we want to see how good Kamzat Chimaev is. He has the looks. He has, he has the look. He looks like a Bond villain. He talks with like an... Uh, an eerie confidence of and violence and you know self belief that it, everything right here. What I'm always curious is like how big of a star can Chimaev be? And Khabib was a, a, a decent star for for not really offering much till later in his career, like personality wise. Uh, not be able to speak you know perfect English. But it works sometimes, and he it, uh, Khabib had kind of had like the Triple G thing, where like his accent kind of made him a star, more of a star, and like the his broken English at times and the way he said things. Uh, Chimaev though, he kind of doesn't have that part, right? He doesn't have the likability. Like Khabib and and Triple G was like the likability of it, right? There was a likableness to this. Chimaev, it's more like. He's a crazy man. He really is. And when he says, like, he's in there to hurt you, you really believe it. And I don't know if that, that's, like, can that be a superstar in fighting? Because he's going to be a problem, and he's going to be at that point. I'm just curious how that plays out. I really like him. I, I, I love the way he fights. 
I think he's he's his takedowns are very dynamic. His stand-up is very good. And the thing you have to notice with stand-up, it's not just like, oh, he knocked a guy out and he has power. He's compact. Like, he doesn't waste a lot of movement. It's it's very beautiful. Like, he, he inches to him. Like, what someone might take, like, a lot of movement to get in position, it's not. To him, it's inches. And then his takedowns are as swift as in transition. Like, he comes out. And let's see if he does in this fight, right? Like, he switch, he'll come, he'll stay in one stance. He'll go, like, orthodox stance. And then around the bell rings, he switches to southpaw. And then he'll go straight for a body kick, straight to a takedown with the back, with the kick that he, like, he, he throws the, the um, his left leg for, like, a body kick. Then shoots that leg back. That, that's the And then he uses that leg for the takedown, to push off to get the takedown. He'll carry his opponent um, he's strong enough to carry his opponent and smart enough to carry him to where the trainers are So he puts him down there and then he can hear his trainers telling him where to go and they're seeing things that he's not seeing He's punishing on the top, but not waste not wild. Everything is with a purpose His stand-up is good. His ground is good. He doesn't look like it has many holes in it You would think if there's gonna be holes. It's you know, we haven't seen him in like a long stand-up fight um, I don't think that is anyone good enough to keep him in a long stand-up fight? Is anyone good enough to avoid the ground with him that long? And in the long stand-up fight, I think he might be still very good. This guy looks like he has everything making to be like a, a, a world beater. And he's fighting Lee, who's, you know, for a wild man himself, um, everything that Chimaev has where, like, his technically sound... Lee isn't technically sound at a lot of things. He's kind of just a natural fighter. Um, his shots are wild. They're winging. But his left hand is active. It um, His left hook is effective. His right uppercut. He hits power. He can If he gets a takedown, he's able to finish. He's a finisher. His lead leg kicks. Um, he's strong on the top. His defense is non-existent, but he's the kind of guy that can easily get in a slugfest at Chimaev. And he could be out-technique, tech, out getting out-striked, and land one shot that, you, you know, it's hard to see where it's going to come from, or, you know, he's creative with it, or he's willing to take a chance with it, and just put you to sleep. So, it's it really is an interesting uh, matchup. Now, I expect Chimaev to come out like he does, with the body kick, or a punch to to push you back and then set up the takedown. And Lee has a very wide stance. So he's going to give up his leg. Like his front leg is just ready to be eaten up in a takedown. I think Chimaev gets him down. And I think from there it's, you know, he's going to get early takedown and just punish him. Really, I think he's just going to punish him. And I think Lee has a kind of ground game where he's willing to take chances to try to pop back up. But I think that Chimaev is going to get control. He's really going to punish him in the first round. I imagine the same thing happens in the second round. Takes him down and gets a stoppage. Now, the counter would be the Lee, you know, I, I really, for like the way Lee's style is, I think the same thing with, um, I think I, I said this with the Dan Hooker fight, but the, the feint of the knee, like make him question like am I, what's coming back at me, right? So a lot of feints early. So he can't just go like, he can't just be so confident to jump in. He kind of has to think, well, what is he doing? And then get him, you know, on his back foot. Keep him honest. Don't un go wild with him to start. You know, start off with work your way into your offense. I really hate when someone loses himself. I really felt like Gaethje really lost himself 
Uh, same thing with Dustin Poirier in the Khabib fight. Now, maybe Khabib's so damn good that it, it just happens. It makes you look like that. But they, re I really felt like they were early on in that fight, like just hoping they landed something. You'd want to look like that to me. It, if you're going to lose, lose under control, though, lose under being able to use the techniques that you truly believe in. And I, I know that Lee believes in that left hook. I know he's active with that left hand. Make sure you have the space to, to try to land it. And start moving, move around, don't stay in the same spot, and see if you can keep Chimaev to get in the mentality of a stand-up fight, which would be your best spot to be in this fight. I think Chimaev's going to win this fight. I think he's going to look dominant. And I'm, I really think it's just a countdown to when he gets a title shot. And the welterweight division, who Usman is on a great run, but how much more does he have? And it looks like, to me, if I'm predicting the champion next at end of next year, it's going to be Chimaev. But if we can get Usman, right, and Chimaev in, in the cage at one time, I, you can't get a better matchup. You can't get really more skill in that cage. It's probably be one of the higher level fights that we've ever, ever had in the UFC and MMA in general. There's boxing on that night. Now, there's a top-ranked card. Um, I'm not going to break down here, but it, it is uh, the main event is interesting with uh, Jose Cepeda. Um, it's interesting he find a prospect moving his way up to be a contender champion. So I think that's a very good fight. It's it's, it's worthy to talk about, but I just have a lot of fights to cover here. So I just went to two, the, the two boxing fights that I thought were the most interesting. We have Jamal James versus Rob Zab Utaev. And um, this is a sneaky, great matchup. And Jamal James... Who is you know taking the, the the rough way up to become a you know to fight for a title, and maybe that's because he you know he's lost his uh, a, fight, a key fight coming up, but he you know he's fighting tough fights of like guys that are not you know maybe well known or well respected, but they're tough fights, and this is another one where it's like Butaev who's coming out of really nowhere, no really attention or no one like hyping him up, not even like a boogeyman of the division, just. Kind of just out of nowhere that can really fight. Kind of reminds me of Castano, who fought just fought Charlo. Um, very skilled, a high amateur pedigree, and Jamal James, who is a guy that you know, willing to fight, fights all twelve rounds, great cardio, long fights on the inside though. Sometimes you know, not to, up to his detriment. Um, he he gives up space. But he's there to fight, and he's going to be active, and he's going to be throwing punches. When Butoyev is more of like, I'm putting pressure on you, but I'm not taking chances. I'm getting caught with shots, but I like to catch a lot on the gloves. I like to put myself in position, and I slowly get to where I want, and then I will start breaking you down. So this is going to be, to me, an ebbs and flow fight, where I think Jamal James starts early and starts landing often. And even if he's landing on Butoyev's um, gloves, Butoyev's defense is you know letting you land on the gloves and he may he may might still be blocking it but you're still landing and the crowd's still gonna be oohing and aahing and there's still gonna be thuds when he lands and i think that jamal james is gonna land a lot of movement um and then beauty way up somewhere in the middle of the fight will be able to capitalize on jamal james who puts himself in bad positions who lets get in the inside too much overshoots his shots gets on the, the on the ropes really on its own detriment because he loses himself loses his legs and loses his height, and Butriev is going to pound his body. He's going to land uppercuts and hooks and slowly work his way in. Now, what I wonder, though, right, is Jamal James, who's kind of durable, pretty durable fighter, 
and pretty active if Butyrev starts too late first of all gives up way, way too many early rounds puts on in the middle rounds but Jamal James is not gonna have any lapses he might be like crawling to the finish line but I think he's gonna get to the finish line and I just believe his activity the way he his shots look like they you know like they, they, they look they have a lot of motion to them when they land they look impressive even like I said, even if he's not landing that great, or even if he doesn't have all that great power, it just looks like, oh man, he's putting it on him. I think that Butyrev's gonna hurt himself by not being active enough in this fight. And the way his defense works, is it's gonna look like Jamal James is just piecing him up at points. And then when he starts landing, Jamal James is gonna be able to survive because he's tough and he's tested and he is determined to get to that world championship level. And there, this is a tournament to face the winner of... Um, Yugas and Stanionis. And Jamal James has been working for that for a long time. And Mutaviv, who is a very good fighter, very calm, I just think that that might be his detriment. He's going to come forward. He's going to walk into a lot of shots. At points, like I said, Jamal James is going to be tested. I think he's going to get ripped to the body and hooks. And he might even be dropped in this fight. But I think he's going to crawl to the finish. And it's just going to be enough to scrape by to win a, uh, to win a split decision. Now, for the counter for Butrev, pay attention to your defense. Pay attention to the positioning early in this fight. Don't give away all the flashy shots, even on your even on your the gloves, if you don't have to. And if you're going to be patient and calm, pay attention to the distance. Don't. This isn't a fight where you just let this guy work and then you give up a lot of rounds. Get started earlier too. Get started earlier. Get to the body earlier. Push. Put a pace on uh, Jamal James where he starts making mistakes earlier. Not. Don't wait until later in the fight for him to start overshooting or really, you know, mustering up shots and then putting himself against the ropes. You got to put the pace on earlier. It's very important. And I just think because Jamal James is durable, you can't rely on that I'm going to break him down and he's going to fold. Because I don't really believe that's going to happen in this fight. So it's all going to be about um, going, get going. But like I said, it's not that Buterbev chooses to get going. Sometimes people's mentality or something in them, it takes a few rounds for them to get going. It's something he can truly control. That might be the case here. I think this fight could be very good. I think this could be, honestly, an entertaining war. I think this whole the whole card with Jerron Ennis, which is the fight I'm going to talk about next, being on there versus Delorme, I just think this could be all action fights. And I think the winner of this is going to be very tough for you guys who I think should be standing on this, but as I was watching Thomas DeLorme fight Daniel, Daniel just looked pretty damn good. So the stacked weight division with new contenders coming out of, out of nowhere, and that leads to the next fight with Jerron Ennis versus Thomas DeLorme. And now, uh, you know, on paper, it looks like a one-sided beatdown, but I think that right now, we're looking at Jerron Ennis, and you ask anyone who's a, uh, seen him you would say he's the next champ he's the next thing he's big he's powerful he um looks good defensively he's flashy he's able to land uh you know he's fast he's able to land big shots and thomas delorme who you know has fought everyone from you know uh terence crawford to jamal james and he never you know, won one of those fights. He's never really truly been close to winning one of those fights. But he's always competitive. Um, he's always game. He's 
offense when it's going is and he's coming forward and building momentum for it and his left hook is uh flying out it's it's good it's a very good offense his defense is non-existent he's going to be hittable and he looks like the kind of guy the defense should be better than it is but it isn't his defense is he's he's all offense and Jordan Ennis which I, I'm noticing, but I don't think a lot of people notice, is I think he's very hittable. And I think especially because his mentality is he's really a punishing fighter. He's really going in there to get you out of there. He's not really fighting for a decision. He's fighting to get you out of there. And, you know, if you're going to have that mentality, just like Tank Davis, you're going to be able to get hit. And I think that Drawn to Ennis is going to win this fight, and I think that he's going to look very good, but I think at points he's going to be very hittable in this fight. And I think Thomas Delorme's offense is good enough to really put some shots on Drawn Hennis. And I think that Drawn Hennis wins this fight comfortably, I think with a late stoppage. But I think we're going to walk away seeing, you know, is he too hittable? And if he's getting hit like that by Crawford, or if he's getting hit by like that by Spence, or if he's getting hit by, you know, Virgil Ortiz, is he going to be able to withstand those shots? Now, the, the beautiful thing about Drawn Hennis is right now he can make this weight because he's humongous for this weight. He puts a lot of power in all the shots. He's very explosive. I've seen someone compare to Roy Jones. I thought my comparison was more he's Tevin Farmer with a lot of power, which is, you know, a problem. You know, that's very good. But like Tevin Farmer, is off, his, whose defense, you know, sometimes gets overrated. I think Jerome Ennis' defense can get overrated. I think he's hittable. I think he's relies on a lot of, like, flashy movement, but mostly he stays in there too long. He get, He's able to get hit when he punches. He likes to counter a lot, but he he takes some shots. He took some clean shots, and even by lipping it, he got hit, you know, a decent, some decent overhand rights. I want to see a complete performance from Drawn Ennis as far as not getting touched, and this would be the kind of fight to do it, where he's able to apply his offense, but kind of not get hit as much and be able to apply his offense in more safer fashion and does he have any filler shots or is it all explosive shots we're gonna see i think that this performance this is a good this is a good test really for drawn Ennis to see is he just you know an offensive you know put it on put it on his opponent um go in there for the kill more of a slugger than we're realizing or can he stay disciplined, defend, and still be dominant? We're going to see. But I, what I expect in this fight is Drawn Ennis is able to put it on Thomas DeLorme. And Drawn Ennis, when he can put it on someone, will continue to put it on them. And that means him getting hit, he, he likes landing. He, he, he When he starts landing, he's going to stay landing. And Thomas DeLorme is there to be landed on. So I think you're going to get some wild exchanges early in this fight. And I think that Drawn Ennis might feel like he can land on DeLorme often and early. And he's going to do that. And Thomas Delorme is used to getting hit and being those type of fights. And I think that he's, you, the first few rounds are going to be drawing us to begin the better of it. But there's going to be shots going back and forth. Eventually, drawing us will break him down. And I think we'll stop him around the eighth or ninth round in a devastating fashion. But I think you're going to see, like, hey, he's hittable. This guy's landing. And is this something that we kind of overlooked? Because I had it. I've been saying this. But I take drawing us in a stoppage, eighth, eighth round. And I would say for Thomas DeLorme, the counter would be get your offense going. Because you're not going to become suddenly, you know, defensively sound. It's just not going to happen. But there's going to be opportunities for you there. And your left hook will be opportunities to trade with, um, with Ennis. 
and you, you're going to want to do it quick. You're going to want to do it uh, earlier in the fight than later because the normally seems to wear it down. But early in the fight, be ready to exchange. Get in there, put the pressure on him, get him in positions where he's going to look to land big shots, and, and take advantage of those exchanges. That's the best shot he's got in this fight. Take advantage of those exchanges. See if you can hurt him early. And see if you can get him out of there. If that's what I'm telling him from this thing, it's like we got to believe in our offense here. We're a good offensive fighter. Believe in it. It's going to be, we're going to go in there. We're going to be in a firefight early. We're going to put it on him. And we want to see what he's got, what his mentality is going into this fight. This has been the Ezra Podcast. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and leave a comment if you can or a review or whatever it is. You know, just trying to grow this. Thank you, guys.